Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Last time we left off with Jesus wrecking the temple, driving people out with a whip, turning over tables, and cursing the fig tree, which withered to the roots. Now he's back. It's the next day. And I'm going to put in at Matthew chapter 21 at verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. So he shows up, followed by a huge crowd of people, on the southern steps of the temple platform, and the religious leaders see the big gathering down there, and they confront him. And rightfully so, one would think. They said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In other words, Who do you think you are? Coming here, turning over tables, wrecking things? And now you're back. What chutzpah? Jesus said, No, no, no. I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? And notice, as they're about to ask him again, He interrupts. No, I'll ask you the question. If you answer me, I'll tell you. John's baptism. Where did it come from? From heaven or from men? I don't know. What do we think here? They discuss it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he'll say then, why why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, well, we're afraid of all these people. They think John was a prophet. So they answer Jesus. We don't know. He said, I didn't think so. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And then he points his finger directly at them. And he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went out to the other son. He said the same thing. He answered, oh, absolutely, yes, sir, I'll go. But he didn't go. So which of the two did what his father wanted? And they, the religious leaders, said, the first. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. That is scathing. These are the religious leaders. These are the cardinals and bishops, if you will, of the church. And Jesus said, Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That is just scathing. And then he turns to the crowd and he says to them, listen to another parable. Got another story for you. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest came, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Well, We know where this is going. Picture the scene at the Southern Steps, a huge crowd of people and a small group of religious leaders standing next to them. Jesus will be playing them off 
against one another. He said to the crowd, tell you another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a wall around it. Then he rented the vineyard out to some farmers. And Jesus then looked at the religious leaders and gestured toward them, they being the farmers. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants, however, looking at the religious leaders, seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. The ones he sent, the messengers, of course, were the prophets. Last of all, he sent his son, and Jesus gestures to himself. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, Jesus gestures to them again, they said to each other, this is the heir, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And that's exactly what will happen when Jesus is arrested, tried, and crucified. Therefore, says Jesus, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And someone in the crowd shouted out, pointing to the religious leaders, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus looked at them, nodded in approval, and he said to the religious leaders, have you never read in the scriptures? Have you taken Bible 101? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I tell you, pointing to the religious leaders, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, heard this, they knew he was talking about them, and they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because a huge number of people, and they're all cheering him on. They held he was a prophet. Well, the interaction continues, and it gets more and more heated. In Matthew 22, at verse 15, the Pharisees were laying plans to trap him in his words. We, we have to discredit him by what he says. So they sent their, their disciples to him along with the Herodians, an odd mix of people. Uh, someone in the crowd raised his hand. Teacher, teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Clearly, given how you savaged the religious leaders here just a moment ago. So tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay taxes to the Roman occupation? Well, that's the law. You're to pay the taxes. But there were others, the zealots, who said, no, you don't pay the taxes. Is it right to pay taxes to support the occupation of our land? 
Now, by asking that, if Jesus said, no, don't pay the taxes, the Roman military would arrest Jesus on the spot, and that would be the end of it. If he said, yes, pay the taxes, he would be discredited in the eyes of the people who are cheering him on. So what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Why are you, you, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin. I, I, toss me a coin. And someone in the crowd, one of these who was setting him up, flipped a coin through the air and Jesus caught it midair. And he turned toward the people and he said, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? They said, Caesar's. and had Caesar's picture on the coin. Then he said to them, flipping the coin back to the man who tossed it, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, delighted, delighted. What happened here? We learned earlier that at Passover, the main pilgrimage festival for Jews, when the population of Jerusalem would swell from 100,000 to a million, all these people from all over the Roman Empire would come, everyone, every Jew who could, three times a year. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. But Passover was the biggest of the festivals. And when you arrived, you brought your sacrifice for to offer at the temple. But you're not going to bring a lamb, a perfect, unblemished-year-old male lamb, all the way from Galilee, 100 miles, because by the time you got to Jerusalem, he wouldn't be perfect and unblemished anymore. No, you would buy a lamb from the vendors, the ones that Jesus threw out earlier on. You would buy a lamb. And what happens to the price of lambs when demand increases tenfold overnight? The price goes up. And you had in your pocket Roman money. But when you got to the temple, you couldn't bring that money into the temple area because it had a picture of Caesar on it, and it would corrupt the temple. So you had to exchange your Roman money for temple shekels. And what happens to the exchange rate when demand increases tenfold? It goes up. That's why Jesus threw the money changers out and the merchants. You turned my father's house into a den of thieves. They were ripping off the people on the exchange rate for the money and the cost of the sacrificial animals. So Jesus flipped the coin back. Whose picture was on it? Caesar's. And who tossed it? One of the religious leaders. You see what just happened? All of you people had to exchange your Roman money for temple shekels at an exorbitant exchange rate, and you had to buy your sacrificial lamb at triple the cost it normally would be. But look at that. Here's one of your religious leaders walking around, not just on the southern steps, but on the, in the temple complex itself with a pocket full of Roman money. <laughs> they tried to discredit him. 
Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He turned it right around on them and discredited them. Who was that man who flipped the coin to Jesus? We're not told here in the story, but, well, in a later podcast, we'll explore it. I think it was Saul of Tarsus, later to become Paul. But we'll get there eventually. Now, the conflict continues. The crowds are getting bigger. The religious leaders are getting more desperate. And Jesus is fed up with them. Again, look at the crowd on the, t- on, on the southern steps, big crowd of people, and look at the group of religious leaders off to the side. Matthew 23. Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the law, and he gestures toward them, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must do everything they tell you, and do not Everything. Well, the religious leaders are nodding their heads in agreement. That's absolutely right. They should do what they're told. But then Jesus said, But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy loads and put them on you, while they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. Look at them, all decked out in their fancy clothes, showing how religious they are. It's like a person today walking into church wearing a a big foot-long cross. They, They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them, Rabbi, oh, hello, Rabbi, how nice to see you today. But you, you folks, the crowd, you're not to be called Rabbi. You have only one master. You're all brothers. You don't call anyone on earth father. You have one father. He's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher. You have one teacher and he gestures to himself, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So woe to you, pointing to the teachers and Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Now notice, he's talking to the religious leaders, not the people. You fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, 
He who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, God. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Oh, you tithe. A tenth of your income, a tenth of your, your, your mint and your dill and your cumin. But you neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Now, can you imagine the expression on the faces of the religious leaders and the big crowd of people? They are dead silent at this point. Woe to you, teach the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teach the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. And Jesus points with his right hand across to the Mount of Olives, which is a cemetery with white tombstones all over it. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside because in the morning sun glistening off the white tombs, that hillside looks beautiful. Even today, those tombs, there are many tombs there that are 2,000 years old. The cemetery on the Mount of Olives is like Arlington Cemetery in Washington. You've got to be pretty important to be buried there. So woe to you. you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. Look at you. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets. Again, he gestures toward the cemetery on the Mount of Olives. And decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, oh, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. So fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you'll kill and crucify. Others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. And it does. Jesus is speaking this in the spring Passover of A.D. 32. 42, 52, 62, 38 years will pass. A generation, 40 years. And the temple comes down. The great Jewish revolt begins in A.D. 66. The temple and Jerusalem fall in A.D. 70. And by A.D. 72, 73, Masada falls, and it's the end.
And Jesus looks out over the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, gosh, folks, this is scathing. The religious leaders at this point have to get Jesus. They've got to stop him. After Jesus came off the Mount of Transfiguration with a full knowledge of who he is and what he was to do, he and his disciples made a beeline toward Jerusalem. Jesus gets there, enters Jerusalem, proclaimed as a king, wrecks the temple area, the money changers and the merchants, comes back, savagely engages the religious leaders. I have to say that he is doing everything within his power to get himself crucified. Jesus was not an innocent victim caught in a trap of religious intrigue and political maneuvering. He's controlling every single moment of what we call Holy Week. Every moment. He has an appointment at the cross on Friday and he will ensure that he gets there. The drama of this story is incredible at this point. So what will happen next? Well, here we are on Friday, and I want to leave you off on that note, but we'll be back on Monday, and we'll continue with the story. Blessings to you. Have a great weekend, and I'll be with you again Monday morning. Bye-bye now.